What's up, Dialed fam? Welcome to episode 150 of the Dialed Health Podcast. My name is Derek Teal. I'm the owner and head coach here at dialedhealth.com, which is the number one strength training for cyclists platform in the world. Today, I'm sitting down with Walter Summers, who is the Garmin Athlete Manager and also happens to be my SAG support for the upcoming Unbound 200 that's happening in just about a month. Now, I reached out to him to ask if he would do this for me because I know you need SAG support for the event, but I don't really know anything else. And he happens to be one of the most experienced guys I've ever met. And that's because he not only has the perspective from the pros that are really winning this event, but he's also raced it and completed it enough times to gain his thousand mile goblet. So we're going to run down all the questions that I have for Walter, and he has some really unique insight and practical takeaways that you guys can implement if you ever plan on racing Unbound in the future. And then after our conversation, I'll be going to my phone to answer your guys' questions from Instagram all about the event. We're going to talk about my fueling strategy, what strength training I'll incorporate to make sure my knees don't degrade, that is a quote, <laughs> my interval training details, my taper for this event, which Unbound class I signed up for, what supplements I'm taking and why my placement goals, and much, much more. Now, before we jump in, I have to ask you to please subscribe to the YouTube channel or the podcast and hit that bell notification so that you don't miss upcoming episodes. And I have to point out, this is my first video episode. I have 149 episodes over on podcasts where we've interviewed some of the top athletes in the world, and I've given you tons of insight on strength training for cyclists, nutrition, and a whole lot more. So if you're wondering where the rest of these episodes are, they are on audio across all major streaming platforms. Just search The Dialed Health Podcast. I'd also like to thank the sponsor of this episode, Bear Performance Nutrition. They make products across the range of health and wellness all the way through performance. But the one product I'd recommend that they just launched are these Go Packs of their electrolytes. These little sticks have 500 milligrams of sodium. They taste great and they're super easy to carry in your pocket. And now that the temps are rising, at least in the States, I'm taking multiple of these with me on rides. And as soon as I drain my bottle with electrolytes, I'm getting ensured that I have the sodium I need to fuel the back half of my ride. So be sure to use the link in the description if you want to give those a shot. And without further ado, let's dive into this episode. So you live in Kansas City, which is about an hour and a half away from Emporia where Unbound takes place. And I asked you if the terrain that you ride on a day-to-day -day basis is just like it, it is out of Unbound. And you said, quote, there's nothing like the Flint Hills. So I have to know what that means. Well, yeah. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, you know, a lot of the Unbound course, you know, they do a really good job of working with uh, the community out there. So a lot of the roads that you ride, one, are like not like primary roads. You know, you're riding on like B roads and what we like to call out here C roads. Um, but the train is nothing like it because you get Flint in the foothills. And for those that aren't from the Midwest or aren't from Kansas, I don't know what Flint is. Flint is like, you know, basically glass. It's like a razor sharp rock. So, um, you know, having some technical skills on the bike is required. Whereas, you know, when I ride on gravel, you know, south of Kansas City and there's like, you know, some bumps or potholes on the road, it's not that big of a deal. But out there, you know, you kind of have to, you know, be on a, be on edge because at any moment, you know, your tire could be shredded to bits. And yeah, it's a whole situation when that happens. Oh, so the Flint Hills gets its name from the actual type of gravel that's out there. I didn't know that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's insane. Okay, so, so if I go, yeah, if I go like far enough, if I go far enough west, I can kind of get on some, you know, uh, unbound terrain. But yeah, no, the gravel south of here is just, you know, really nicely graded gravel. Um, it's it's not quite a poor to gravel. That's interesting because where I live in Northern California, we have a lot of really good mountain biking, and a lot of the fire roads even can be pretty chunky. You have to uh -huh. get 
I'd say higher in elevation for the fire roads to smooth out for the most part, or you have to go to the valley. Uh, but where I kind of live in the foothills, it's really better suited for a mountain bike because it is so chunky, but I can't necessarily mm. say that it's really sharp, if that makes yeah. a difference. Of course, there are yeah. some sharp edges, but it's just a lot of big baby heads or big round rock that's sticking out of the ground. And Definitely. so you think that is pretty unique to Kansas because you hear people yeah. talk about how sharp the rocks are and how easy it is to get flats. Yeah. Well, it's not just that, you know, like, like, like I mentioned, you know, it, it being, you know, a lot of the course being like on B roads, you know, you'll find yourself in kind of uh, precarious situations where, you know, you're in a pace line and a pace line because you're basically riding, you know, on double track where like the grooves in the road can get down to like, you know, a foot and a half deep. And you're just like, man, you know, if I wanted to, you know, jump, jump the center line, like I would be able to right now, you know, it can get kind mm. of long. And then on top of that, you've got Flint in the mix too, just ready there to, you know, shred your tire and make you have to do some roadside maintenance. Yeah. And speaking of maintenance, you are going to be my SAG support for Unbound. So huge thank you for uh, offering to do this because coming into the race, you know, I've only done, uh, I, I can't say I've only done gravel race in California, but I've, every gravel race I've done has had marked aid stations and it seems to be the norm where there's kind of rest stops like you'd find at a Fondo even. And sure. obviously everyone has access to them. Uh, what I'm seeing more of now toward the front of the group is uh, rider support specifically for pros where they have their teams come out, hand them bags that are ready to go. And so I've seen that more and more, I guess, this year in 2023 even. But for Unbound, that is that really not a thing? Like they don't have neutral aid support? It's like a, yeah, so not a, they'll have like water oases, obviously. So they won't, they don't want anyone to run out of water. Um, so that'll be something that'll, uh, that you will see on a race day. Um, but as far as like, you know, support goes, like you need to, you have to either A, do a drop bag or B, have a support crew. And those can only be in like the two designated stops. Um, anywhere else out on course is prohibited. So um, it, it's kind of what makes, you know, unbound, unbound is it's, yeah, I mean, it's a real adventure. You know, when you leave, you know, the, when you leave Emporia, you know, you're going to be, you know, venturing for 70 miles completely unsupported. So you better have everything that you need. So the first stop is not until mile 70. Yeah. So I don't know for sure. Cause we haven't been given the course, but it's just kind of like doing some simple math. You know, the, the, the day is 200 miles long and there's going to be two stops. So, um, the, the first stop could be anywhere as close as, you know, mile 40 or 50 if they wanted to. Um, and you know, those diabolical race organizers at unbound have been known to make that, you know, that stop one to stop two, like a particularly long stretch, um, which is always like the hottest part of the day. So that's usually, you know, the hardest part of the, the race day. Uh, but, as of right now, no, I don't know if it's mile 70. It could be, it could be anywhere in, around there, but we won't know until we get the course. So right away, when you say that I, I was already planning on running a pack, but it sounds like a pack is completely necessary with that kind of gap, especially yeah, if it's going it, to be hot. It's the way to go. Like, I mean, I, I won't, I won't speak for the pros, uh, but you know, whenever you start the day, like usually it's pretty cool and timid. Like, you know, obviously we we're, we're not going to know if we're going into the wind or if you're going to be, you know, have the wind at your back. Um, but because you're first starting out, hopefully you've been hydrating really well, like the night before and even the morning of, you know, you're going to be taking on hopefully tons of electrolytes because it's a long day. Um, you can usually make it to the first pit stop, um, with just two like big bottles and you'll be fine. But, um, I've never started that, uh, that second stretch without a, without a camelback. My thought was to start with it. I have a two liter Yusui and I mm. really prefer to, I'd rather carry more weight and not have to stress about water and not feel like sure. I'm trying to conserve it, especially on the earlier 
well, I guess it's not as hot on the earlier part of the day, but at the same right. time, it's like you're trying to make sure you're putting yourself right. in a position to finish the back half strong. Right, so my right. thought was I have my one pack, but I have two bladders and I could give mm. you a bladder and you mm. could have that prepped and we could just swap it at the sag. So yeah. for one, I was asking if that was a good strategy and I kind of want to know what you think is the perfect sag stop. Like what would it look like if we executed this to the T? Yeah. I mean, in a perfect world, if you wanted to be really bougie in what we've always done. So I've, I should clarify that every, you know, the, the, all of the unbounds that I've done, I've done with my dad and my little brother. So um, we've always like operated like on the same exact same program. So when we get into that first off, we all had a second camelback just ready to go and we would just completely swap it. It just it saves from fumbling around and swapping bladders and it just makes it really smooth. But yeah, perfect stop is one. If you know someone that has like, you know, some mechanical skills can like lube your chain up, make sure, you know, everything's dialed. If you roll in and you're like, yo, yeah, my, I can't jump down into my 11 or I can't shift. Well, someone that can, you know, quickly adjust your rear derailleur or something. So, um, yeah, in a perfect world, it's, you get in, get off your bike, you grab all your nutrition while, you know, your support person is swapping your bottles and making sure your bike is tuned. And in a perfect world, you're there for, you know, 25, 30 seconds, depending on how, you know, aggressively you want to, you want to take on the day. So, yeah. Yeah. That 25, 30 seconds makes me think you'd have to have the pack ready. There'd be no issues with the bike other than throwing some lube on the chain. And you'd be in and yeah. out going. That would be yeah. insane. If you if you want to do it like a pro, like I think, I mean, it, you know, maybe that's uh, too much, but I mean, getting in and getting out in under three minutes, you know, doing it with my dad and my little brother um, was easy, feasible. So, you know, if you really want to be aggressive with it, um, you could you could get that down under a minute, no problem. I, I'd like to think that I would take my time uh, to the degree that I'm not going to feel rushed and hurried and like an absolute spaz because it's easy to forget little things when you come in with that mindset and truthfully for, for where sure. I'm at finishing wise, it's like I'm toward the front of the group. You know, in most gravel races, I'll finish at least in the top like 10%, if not 5%, maybe even up a little right. bit further. And so I'm not out there competing for a win or a top uh, yeah. position, especially at these big races. But yeah. I also am not trying to really just kick my feet up and treat this like a, like a full on kickback Fondo. So I know though for yeah. me to take a second, actually pee if I have to pee and take care of my body and not feel rushed. It, it, that is the strategy I've used at the past couple of races and carrying a pack has meant that I haven't had to uh, really stop at as many aid stations. So I felt like I've been able to take care of myself and be a lot more comfortable throughout the ride, which, you know, for me, sure. strategy wise, it's like rate of perceived exertion comes down. You feel a little bit better. You can perform a little bit higher. Day is a better experience. It's kind of a win-win. So, oh, um, for sure. I don't know. We can have you back on after the race and tell everybody <laughs> how I came in, just yelling at everybody, like my chain, no my chain. <laughs> yeah, that's usually how it goes too, and and I'm I'm here for it. So, so how are you with bike mechanic skills? Because I'm gonna rely on you for this. Like, if I come in and something's not shifting right, something feels tweaked. How confident are you in fixing this for me? I mean, I feel like I can tinker pretty well. Um, are you, are you yeah. going to have like a ETAP or are you going to have DI2 or what do you got? What are you going to be running? ETAP. Oh, yeah. Well, you won't have any issues. Just don't just don't shred that thing <laughs> off because I won't have any extra ETAP rear durs hanging around. Um, but no, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't, uh, I guess, wrench at a shop, but I worked at a bike shop for, uh, for years and I, I don't know if this is like going to help me at all, but I work on my, I work on all my own bikes. So that's got to be good for something, right? <laughs> It does give me some confidence and you have to share with everybody the story 
about your derailleur in one of the past rounds <laughs> that you've done? Yeah, man. It was like a uh, 2017. Uh, I did not tune my own bike. Um, I'll, I'll clarify. I did not tune my own bike before this race. When I was still working at a Sunflower, which is a local shop in my hometown, I used to always have one of like the really awesome mechanics do it. And the bike was dialed. It was ready to go. Um, but like, it was like mile, maybe 10 or 11 into the race. I went to go shift and my rear derailleur dropped all the way down into my 11 and I'd broken the cable stop on, on my frame into my frame so there was no tension on my uh, my reader other cable so i did like 50 miles 60 miles in my uh, 48 11 which was just it was so brutal and i was like i have got to figure this out whenever we get to the stop because i cannot do this all day long um and luckily yeah we were able to macgyver it. we used like a a little uh, uh one of the caps from a valve stem poked a hot needle through it so it acted as like a, a pass through for the cable and then it stopped in my frame and it worked for the rest of the, for the rest of the ride. So I did like, you know, hundred plus miles like that. And that was awesome to have gears again. That kind of MacGyver situation where somehow you get a hot needle to poke through this thing and Bob, it would take a pit of mechanics literally to look at each other and be like, all right, everybody jump on this. Like, what do you got? I got this. I got that because that's a crazy fix, you know? Well, that's the funny thing is guess what I had to do for like, you know, an entire two and a half, three hours was think about how the heck I was going to rectify the situation. So I was like, what could I possibly do to save this? And all I was thinking about the things that I had in my toolbox, I was like, all right, I got like a, a slew of like bike specific tools and then spare tubes and some, I was like, all right, I think I have the bits. I think we can make this work. And like the vision came to, it was crazy. Like we had it all done within like eight minutes too. Like it was pretty, it was pretty wild. I love that. And it's just the willingness to resolve these issues and, and continue moving forward because I think some, I mean, it just seems like with gravel events, so many crazy things can happen. So uh, it's kind of the, it is kind of the spirit of gravel is just rolling with the punches through the day. And so with that, uh, being talked about the gear that you had at the SAG stops. I'm curious about, well, before well, let's talk about equipment, but first off, are aero bars banned this year? Do you know? You know, I think word on the street is uh, the aero bars are banned. I think I read a couple spicy articles. I, it was at least, it was at least for crusher. I know that they're banned for crusher for the pros. Um, and I, I think if you're like a, an age grouper or like a, a mass start, uh, it, participant i think they're all right but i think they're i think they're axing them i, I should probably look into yeah. that what, what do you know i actually don't know M- my opinion on it was that i think whatever the rule is the rule is and you just have to follow yeah. it right i mean yeah. i do think that the that riding in aero bars on dirt in big groups does sound kind of sketchy but i've never yeah. done it i i couldn't tell you from experience just looking at it your ability to actually react to yeah. Uh, some problem technically like, like bike skills wise is probably next to nothing in aero bars. So that yeah. it, it makes sense that they could pull it. Uh, so yeah, I was just kind of curious. Yeah. I mean, I probably no. wouldn't run them either way. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. No, we, I did a, uh, every man Jack is like an elite men's, uh, tri squad and they had a training camp in Las Vegas. I mean, these guys were like, they're cutthroat, they're monsters. And whenever they train together on their TT bikes, if you're not at the, one of the two people at the front pulling, like you just don't ride in your aero bars. And I think mm. it's a pretty, pretty general, generally followed rule of thumb for, uh, for triathlete group rides. Like if you're, you know, you can't touch your brakes, like you gotta be ready to stop or react and you just can't do that in aero bars. So yeah, I'm with yeah. that school of thought. 
it's funny because I was just behind this guy I didn't know at the end of a Fondo I did last weekend. And, you know, it's 140 miles. Everybody's pretty cracked. And this guy's just taking a hero pole, like two miles from the finish line. And it's a flat section. And he just, I don't know if he had something to prove or whatever, but he was sitting like he what like he had arrow bars kind of puppy paws position forearms uh, on the uh on the nice. on the hoods yeah. and we're going through intersections and he was like fully almost head down looking at the tires and i'm seeing cars kind of come up and roll to the stop and the first thing in my head was like if if anybody does something they're not supposed to right now this guy's going down and i'm like yeah. behind him so i was given some gap <laughs> because yeah, yeah. i was just like i mean you're putting yourself at such high risk for yeah, for whatever. Um, so, anyways, besides the arrow bars, what do you think? Um, what, what do you think equipment wise people need to possibly bring? Uh, besides the stuff that's talked about, like packs. Obviously, we know tire plugs are a big deal. Yeah. Um, like, if you were to go out, how many CO twos would you bring? Would you bring more than one tube? I mean, how crazy do you get about spares on cars? So I always do. So I was in a. I was really fortunate in that. Like, I was always riding with like my uh, my pops and my my little bro. So we would all have a tube, and we would each have two CO twos. And you know, if you know, we had a really bad streak of luck, uh, it would take you know three flats to put us out because we all always kind of had each other's back. But I think, yeah, when you start, uh, like you should for sure have a tube, you should for sure have uh, at least two CO2s. And then I think the the mini pump at that event, like I know it's not like, you know, super light and super racy, but for 200 miles, like things can just go south. And uh, I'm, I am personally not one that, you know, rides or trains with a mini pump, but if you're starting unbound with that, like, and I mean, it makes some really tiny, sleek little like design mini pumps. You can get like pretty like small profile or low profile ones, but yeah, I think starting that event without a mini pump is a, is probably a mistake. So, uh, oh, that's always- that's good advice because I don't train with one, but I just had gotten one for bigger gravel days. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got one by the company Pro Tool. It is it's pretty dang small. Um, yeah, I haven't used it yet, so yeah, I'll throw that in the pack for sure. That's and, ho- and hopefully hopefully you won't have to, but it, it, it'll yeah. be nice to have when you burn up those CO twos uh, for sure. Whenever we've done it, so I, I, and I'm just fortunate, maybe it was bougie at the time, but I think it's kind of getting more and more accepted because people always talk about like live track and how can I track my rider. And um, like, you know, I, I work at Garmin, I guess I should throw that out there, but we have a, a, whenever you start an activity, you can send a live track link to, you know, your loved ones or family members or whatever. And that's mm-hmm. great. But live track is going through your cell service. So when you're out in the Flint Hills in the middle of nowhere, if your phone doesn't have service, then your family won't be able to track you. So mm-hmm. I've always done um, Unbound with a little inReach mini. And that's a constant, you know, feed for my family. They can see me in real time exactly where I'm at. And the really cool thing is, is whenever I have a flat or whenever like one of my family members would have a flat or we would get low on a camelback, I would literally be texting them like live updates, be like, hey, you know, throw an extra tube in my my uh, my camelback because when we get there, I flatted. So like I'd get into these rest drops, you know, with things that had happened and I'd already given like my crew an update. And so they had everything ready for me. Um, so they could like tell me on the fly, Hey, like my, my, I'm shifting really wonky. I'm going to need like a rear derailleur support when I get there. So I can get there, get off my bike and they already know what to do. So the can you text through the inReach? You can. So it just Bluetooth to your phone and yeah, you can just touch. Oh, whoa. Really? Yeah. So that people don't know that. Yeah. There's a, a, a companion app with the inReach. So the inReach is the part that's, you know, talking to the Iridium satellite system and you don't have to have phone service. If your phone's near the inReach, it has a Bluetooth and you can use your phone as the keyboard to communicate. Oh, that's pretty sick. I didn't know that. Yeah. You're going to be racing with one. I love that. 
we'll practice yeah. it. Maybe I'm just going to be like, hey, I know I said I want six Oreos, but I want eight. That's yeah, what my text like, is going to be, just, hopefully. Honestly, most of it, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully you won't have to use it, right? You won't have to send a message. Most of it's going to be for me so that I'm not just on edge for, you know, 11 hours of the day. I'll be able to just relax and maybe go do some yeah. ride during race day. And then I'll be able to see when you're coming up on the course, you know, I'll be able to see when you're getting into the, you know, whatever the town is or wherever the, the neutral stop is. So, you know, that, for, that is really nice too, if, if for your SAG support so that they don't yeah. have to just look around and, you know, feel like they can't kick their feet up because they don't know when you're coming in uh, to the actual stop. That's really cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. And you know, there's a question I want to ask about the SAG support. If someone was coming out and didn't have access to Walter Summers, yeah. then what what would they do if they really didn't have anybody to go and help them and they're flying over to you know from wherever uh, to do yeah. the race? You you mentioned they could drop off a bag, but is there like a yeah. service that's gonna how does how does that work? Is that a possibility? Yeah. So there, there are like services, but Unbound does like uh, offer something and it, it's it's an additional fee. Um, I'm not sure how much it is off the top of my head, but yeah, they'll have a, a neutral spot so that, you know, whenever you get to the first stop, you need to go to the, you know, the green lot or the C lot or whatever. And then they'll have then like all your SAG support bags, like really ni- nicely laid out and you'll be able to go like match it up with your number plate. So you'll still get support. Um, yeah. So there are definitely options oh, that's cool. that are coming, you know, from another state or, you know, internationally that don't have someone to come with them. That's really cool. That's good to know. And it makes me even more grateful to have you and, and others to sort of shepherd me through the process of doing it the first time. <laughs> you know, I've had friends even going to my first gravel race, Cody Kaiser, who's been on the podcast. Uh, he yeah. kind of held my hand through the whole thing. And so it was just a cool way to start. But also I think for anybody that uh, has to go and approach one of these things solo, or you don't have a friend that you know doing this event, um, it seems like people will gather around or the event itself will take that into consideration. So that is sure. good to know. And, you know, we talked about <clears throat> some gear. I think the inReach tip was amazing. We talked about the actual Flint, which is the rock and the, uh, yeah. the gravel out there. Is there anything else about the terrain or the climate that you think we should, like I should think about prepping for or taking into consideration that I maybe haven't thought about? I mean, because I don't know yeah. if a lot of people know, but it's like 12,000 feet of climbing over the 200 miles yeah. just on, on small, is, is it small rollers? Like what's the biggest hill you'll climb out there? There's a, well, we don't know where the course is going to go, but yeah, most of it's mm. like really, really rolly. Um, you know, there's a, there are punchy sections out there you know uh uh i love uh, uh christy moan um she's one of the uh, one of the og founders of the race um but what she likes to reference or say is uh, it's death by a thousand splinters you know those rollers they catch up to you by the end of the day by the end of the day I mean, mm. 200 miles is a long way those things start turning into mountains you know um so yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not any one hill that's going to get you but uh, I, I think something that you've really got to try to focus on is people start that race. They're excited. They want to go hard. But if you race that race, like it's a hundred mile race and you, you, you can't even, you just can't touch your matchbook. Like if you burn any matches within the first, you know, 30 miles or 40 miles, you're really mm. setting yourself up for a really tough day. Um, but uh, um, unless you know, you're Keegan or, you know, Russell or one of those guys, I'm sure those guys, you know, just have a blast, you know, beat each other up like that. But yeah, you, yeah. you, you can be going into the red. Um, really ever throughout the day. <laughs> you know, I have had the mindset of, of pacing. Like I, I got it pretty early on was to just let people go, but it is, it's hard to do like in the moment when you're in an event like this and you watch these people pull away 
Uh, but I just watched another video recently. It was by Dylan Johnson. And he was talking about his pacing strategy for last year's Unbound. And um, uh, this is like one of the, you know, let's just say a top 30 dude letting the front group go. And I think the reality is like, if you pace yourself early, you're still going to link and group up with the people who are most suited to you. And likely if you pace yourself more in the beginning, you're going to start sort of passing people and picking people up opposed yeah. to opposed to just falling off of the back because most people, even after they hear this podcast are going to go and blow themselves up at the beginning of these gravel oh, yeah. runs because you know, it's a mass start that people are go so hard in the beginning. And so, yeah. um, yeah, I guess I'm just throwing out that pacing strategy because it's something I'm going to try and keep in mind. And for anyone listening, I would encourage someone to make sure that they're not getting too carried away in the beginning because it'll be fun for the first 50 miles. But I mean, I did a yep. BWR last year absolutely hammered felt like a hero I've, and then limped it all the way home it was brutal i've got i've got i've got buddies i've got like local legends there are people out here that are just so strong guys that are stronger than me um where you know not only did i crush them and did we like you know blow past them at like mile 150 but it's like it's like my 60 year old dad and like my 14 year old brother are like yes. trashing these guys because they just didn't pace right and they blew themselves up. Um, so you can really do it wrong, but man, finishing that race, uh, like feeling strong and feeling good is, you know, it's a lot better than the alternative. Um, I guess there's a couple alternatives. One's just not finishing at all, but you, right. you'll, you always want to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So dude, thank you so much for uh, the, the details on Unbound. Yeah, I'm excited man. to go in have you helped me through the process? And I think anyone listening to this is going to be one step closer to executing the race themselves. So uh, I appreciate it, man. Um, is there any yeah. anything we left out there that you don't you, you want to include before we roll? I think that I think the the last Easter egg because you know I'm familiar with Emporia and I've been out there a lot and I've got like my own little uh, my own little like you know uh, tricks of the trade. But for people that are new that are coming out there that uh, that are going to be bringing support, um, what we've been seeing in years past, which is really really uh, uh, kind of innovative is in the lots, you know, where you're rolling into these neutral stops in these towns. Um, people have been like hanging balloons, like, you know, bright red or like bright green so that when you're a rider coming into this field or this, you know, sea of support cars and families and stuff, you can just look to the sky and look for you, you know, your green balloon or your red balloon. So that's been pretty interesting to see. So that that's another oh, part yeah. of you that you got to realize that when you come into these neutral stops, you know, there are people there that are there to support a thousand other people. So just getting to where your, your guy is can be part of the battle. So having a system for figuring out how you're going to do that will save you potentially, you know, 20 minutes by the end of the day. So you, the last thing you want is to be like frantically rolling around the parking lot looking for your SAG crew because that happens every year. That is advice that you would only give after being through the experience. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. So we're going to have to come up with something. We'll come up with a game plan. Don't worry. I'm not going to give, uh, I'm not going to give the masses uh, my, my super top secret tricks, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell them that they, you, you, guys, should at least you guys should plan for it though. <laughs> I'm actually scared because I know you're willing to like paint your body some crazy color or something. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, Walter, thanks a lot, man. I'm stoked uh, to get out there in just over a month and uh, they are just really grateful for all the help. So appreciate it. Yeah, um, also would recommend people go and follow you on Instagram. What is your handle? I'm, yeah. I'll make sure I leave it in the description. I'm a W sum sum 28. 
So you'll see Walter out there riding to some crazy death metal and getting retweeted by <laughs> Keegan Swenson and all the top Garmin athletes. So uh, anyways, Walter, thanks a lot, man. Have a good one. All right. How are y'all? Before we move on, I have to give a shout out to our review of the week, which comes from Nick Jones SD. This is over on the Apple podcast platform. He left me five stars and said, best strength and mobility content for cyclists. Derek has built an amazing platform and puts intent into everything DH offers. He is a highly credible trainer and coach with the experience to back it up. And this shows in every episode. DH is a must listen every week, and the DH Instagram is incredible for quick, informative content. Kudos to Derek for everything he is building to help make riding more productive and more enjoyable for countless cyclists. Nick, that means a lot. I really appreciate it. And I would appreciate if you guys left me a review on whatever platform you were streaming this from. Leave five stars. It can be anything positive. It doesn't even have to be that thoughtful, and I really appreciate it. So now I've pulled your questions from Instagram and I threw them over onto my computer, which I'll be answering right now. This is all things Unbound. Let's first start with my fueling strategy. So there's quite a few things I'm planning on implementing, but I want to give you guys some solid takeaways as far as what I'm going to do with the fueling strategy. One thing I'm going to try even before Unbound, I actually have a gravel race this weekend where I'm going to experiment with, is front loading with carbs and electrolytes. So this would be sipping on G1M Sport from Bear Performance Nutrition. Every scoop is 20 grams of carbohydrate and 350 milligrams of sodium. And doing that is obviously just getting it ready to use in your system, opposed to waiting till you start your ride, which is something I've been doing. In fact, the last Fondo I just did was, it was a 140 mile day, but I was drinking coffee and water pretty much up until the start line. And I even took a leak, you know, 30 minutes before I rolled up there. But lo and behold, an hour in, I had to pee like a racehorse. I think that's the saying. And thankfully, I got my buddies to stop with me at the first rest stop and took a leak and was fine for the rest of the day. But I just remember thinking like I would have been kind of screwed in a gravel race because this is such an early stop. And I've had similar things happen before gravel races, but it tends to be a lot later on in the day where I may be on some single track or kind of in the middle of nowhere and I have a way better opportunity to pee. So the goal with the carb sodium mix would be to drink a little bit less in the morning, hopefully not have to pee as much in the beginning of the race, but also be filling myself up with some sodium, with some carbohydrate that is ready to use as soon as I start. The next thing I'll be doing is loading up my U-Sweet pack with a ton of mix. I'll probably customize the ratio of carbohydrates to sodium, depending on how hot it is that day, to be honest, because I've done too much sodium in the past where I did, let's see, eight scoops of G1M Sport in two liters. I think it was like 180 carbs or 160 carbs and... I, it's 350 milligrams of scoop. So I can't do the math, but eight of those. And it was a cloudy day. I raced with it and I just felt kind of puffy. Like it was like too much sodium or something. So I'm going to play it by ear, but I want to make sure I have at least 200 grams of carbohydrate in this. And the reason I'll put my mix in here and probably just water in my bottles is because this is so easy to grab early on in the ride when the packs are bigger, people are a little bit more antsy. You don't have to take your hand off the bar, reach down for a bottle, ride one-handed while you're drinking. You can just put the tube in your mouth, get the hand right back on the bar, spit it back out. There's a magnetic clip where the tube goes back on. It couldn't be easier. And I think it's one of the best tips for fueling early in a gravel race is just having your calories accessible on your back. Now, one thing that's unique about Unbound is the fact that it is 200 miles and it's likely going to be a 
you know, up to 12 hour day for me. And so I want to make sure I have some solid food at a point during the ride, likely the second aid station. And I plan on having something like a turkey wrap with a lot of mustard. Now, supposedly there's benefits to vinegar helping you not cramp, but I've just found that I really do well with mustard on big days. On some of the 24 hour rides I've done, I've been able to straight up drink the stuff out of the bottle. It goes great with a turkey wrap. It's, it's a light form of lean protein. It's like somewhat easy to digest compared to other proteins. And it just feels like when I get to the eight hour mark in a ride, I need some real whole foods. And that's been like my number one go-to based off the past few rides I've done. Also, my kids are screaming their head off right now. They're about 25 feet away in the kitchen. There's two walls in between us, but if you can hear them, I'm sorry about that. The last thing I'll say regarding nutrition on a big day like this, anything really over eight hours or so, is that you need to have options. Have gels, have gummies, have whole foods, all the types of foods that you typically like to eat on a ride. Try and make them as available as possible because truthfully, once you know six hours goes by, eight hours goes by, you're kind of just eating it as often as you can, and you're trying to get down whatever sounds the best for your gut at that time. And sure, there are times when you might crave something that you know you probably don't need. In fact, I'll give you an example. Sometimes I crave a little bit more fat than I actually want because if I eat too much fat, I end up getting very burpy, and it just makes my stomach feel kind of weird. So that is one thing I've learned over time. You don't want to always go off of your cravings alone, but you have to eat as often as your gut can handle. And that's really the only strategy I think that there is in the real world, at least for most amateurs. If you're a trained pro doing this regularly, you can probably get it down to more of a science, but at least where I'm at, it's just like bring options and stuff your face as much as you can. What did Alex say on the last podcast? The bike is the buffet. Well, she's a triathlete, but still a good saying. Next question, what strength training will I be incorporating to make sure my knees don't degrade? Now, this is a topic I feel extremely passionate about because I've had very crazy knee issues in the past that really stemmed from an ACL surgery and reconstruction. I used a hamstring, which I somewhat regret, but it's led to some IT band issues and just some imbalances because I'm, I'm missing a hamstring. And so I've had to learn a lot of corrective exercise, which has ultimately helped me with my career and helped a lot of people, uh, but it's a frustrating process. But what I'll tell you right now is that sometimes the most mundane, simple interventions that you can do at home can be the most effective. And a lot of times it's because you can do them so frequently. So the thing that has kept my knees healthy is foam rolling and stretching and doing hip activation exercises. I'm gonna say it one more time, foam rolling, stretching, hip activation. The combo I will do, and I'm gonna tell you, people right now will say this doesn't work because there's no science to prove it. Listen. I foam roll the outside of my leg to loosen up the muscles around my IT band. Does it lengthen the IT band itself? No, it does not. I do understand that. Now, I will also work my TFL, which is where the IT band connects in your hip. It's kind of the fronter outside of your hip. A lot more uh, ability to stretch and lengthen that tissue opposed to the IT band itself, which creates some slack down the line. Now, you can also stretch that by doing a half kneeling hip stretch and kind of pushing your hip out to an angle. But when you combine that foam rolling, with that stretching and also a biceps for more short head stretch. So it's like a standing IT band stretch. And this would be you crossing your legs, reaching down toward the instep of your foot. It hits the outside of your hamstring. And this is one of those muscles that really lends itself to compensating 
for the inside of your leg. If you have IT band symptoms, come on, like I have had in the past. And so when your adductors on the inside of your leg turn off, when those muscles get tight, your hip stops firing and your knee gets destroyed. So you try and do the opposite of that. You relax the muscles on the outside of your leg and you activate the glute medius. And the exercise that I found works the best, most consistently, are banded clamshells. They are goofy. They do not look cool. But just doing three sets of 20 or two sets of 20 and getting that hip fired up is enough to activate it, use it throughout the day in my workouts, and it keeps your knees extremely healthy. Now, if you're feeling pain on the front of your kneecap, I really encourage you to go after your quads and to spend some time on a foam roller rolling the tops of your quads, trying to stop and pause on any points that really stick out to you that are somewhat painful, almost like a masseuse would. If they found a knot in your back, they wouldn't just skip over it. They would actually stop and dig it out. And you kind of want to approach it the same way, follow it up with some stretching. And that could literally be the difference between you experiencing knee pain on the bike versus not. Now, it could be way more complex than that. You could have issues that require surgery intervention, but you have a free option to try things that are very, very, very low risk. So why wouldn't you? So that's specifically how I take care of my knee itself, but it's also supported by a total body strength training program that allows me to work my hamstrings and my glutes and my quads all together uh, under way more load so that they can get stronger and hold that position. And that combination is really going to make your knees feel rock solid. And, and I feel extremely confident in saying that because I have had debilitating knee pain, specifically from the IT band issues in the past after my surgery, like to the point where I get out of bed and there's so much pain in my knee, I'm limping, or I can't extend my leg all the way, or there's popping, or there's crazy amounts of swelling in my knee. And I've corrected it with those interventions to the point where I can sit on an 11.5% gradient for 27 hours in double Everest on my bike with zero knee pain. And I've gotten hundreds of testimonials of people talking about that, along with things like their back pain as well. So it is really confidence inspiring, and I'd encourage you guys to, uh, to, to do the work. Now let's talk about tapering for this event. I'm going to be honest, I have no idea how I'm going to do this yet. I actually haven't looked that far ahead in my own riding program, and I know I'll be strength training up until the week of the actual event itself. And that week itself, I'll do a session at about like a 70% perceived exertion. So backing off the intensity a little bit and just keeping my body moving. I'll be for sure doing some activation exercises like I just mentioned, some core work uh, probably two days before the event to make sure I'm staying activated. But other than that, I, I really don't know what I'm going to do yet. And I'll, I'll follow up with you when I do. Next question, which Unbound class did I sign up for? So when you sign up for Unbound, it asked you, it asked a few questions, but there was one of them that said, do you consider yourself a pro athlete? And you better believe I hit that button and said, absolutely. <laughs> so do I consider myself a pro athlete? I mean, no, I, I don't. But I also uh, understand that I will finish in the, you know, top percentile of the race, uh, relatively speaking, you know, I'm not going to be at the pointiest end, uh, but I'll be toward the front enough to where, um, I don't know, I felt like I wanted to separate myself a little bit. And that's just based off of past uh, results and kind of where I know I sit, you know, for example, at BWR Arizona, incredibly stacked field. Um, I can't remember how many races there were total. Uh, I think there was like 700 in the big route that we did. Uh, and I finished 38th. And so again, uh, this is not me saying I'm good. I'm bad. It's just, I am toward the front and I've backed that up with, uh, more local results that are a lot higher. Um, it really like for me with the level I ride, 
it's hard to make a goal for a result because it truly comes down to who's going to be there. Cause there are hundreds of cyclists in the world that are faster than me. Um, but if they don't show up, I, I'll, I might do a lot better. <laughs> That's like all that it is. So it's almost not smart to put a goal out there that's like purely based off of this placement uh, because it's so dependent on just, I don't know who shows up. So I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out the goal thing right now. Um, I don't think it's going to be too focused on an actual position uh, within reason though. I mean, come on, there's a point where you're like, all right, I can step it up a little bit. Uh, what supplements am I taking and why? I'll just run through this quick. Uh, as I mentioned, Bear Performance Nutrition is the sponsor of this episode. Uh, I work with them as an athlete and an influencer. And so uh, I use most of their product line. I'm just going to run through all the supplements I take with Bear Performance Nutrition right now. So let's think on the bike. I use their electrolytes uh, and their G1M Sport. Uh, I guess that's two. I'm not even going to do this because it's going to be a lot. Uh, I use their creatine monohydrate. I use their vegan protein powder. I use their strong greens and strong reds. Uh, I use their uh, pre-workout. I use their endo pump and their BCAAs. And I use their field bars. And as of now, that's I guess that's it uh, for all of it because I don't do well with whey protein, which limits me from some of their products. In fact, I'm really jealous of people who can have whey protein. And I've used some of their vitamins, but just to be transparent, I've never noticed a real difference. I think getting the micronutrients from the greens and reds powders uh, felt like it's been enough for me. And so I'm just kind of rolling with that. Occasionally I'll try a new fish oil or a new omega or, or a new multivitamin, but those have never really stuck around for me. So yeah, those are all the products I use. And, and really the goal is to one, support and fuel my riding, but also to support and fuel my daily nutrition. And having things like a protein powder that you can have on hand is one of the biggest things I'd recommend for your own nutrition because it allows you to hit protein goals. It's a really tasty option. You know, you can make like the other night I made a protein pudding and I basically just stirred up two scoops of protein powder. So 40 grams of protein and it was chocolate stirred up with a little bit of almond milk, put sliced bananas, put some uh, granola on top with a little bit of honey. And it was like this amazing dessert parfait that was packed with protein and uh, just keeps you on track and it's just a nice tasty option. So again, check out the link in bio people. And the last question is my interval training details. Now I'm using the flat gravel program from FastCat and a lot of the intervals are longer. Like even the threshold intervals are like 10 minutes long and the sweet spot intervals are 15 to 20 minutes long. So I would say that would be the biggest change that I'm doing opposed to even shorter intervals around like one minute or two minute, which I started incorporating this year. But I'll tell you the biggest thing that I have learned from Frank and FastCat, and it's funny because it's one of the first questions I asked him was, what is the biggest mistake cyclists are making? And he said, people are not doing the long ride. And I noticed for myself that I had not consistently done a long ride, let's just say one five-hour ride per week in a while, like really through the entire off season. And the horrible weather in NorCal did have something to do with that, but I have neglected that. And so moving from now until Unbound, one of my most important things I'm implementing is making sure I do at least one big ride that really challenges me per week on top of those intervals that I mentioned, and usually one recovery or zone two ride per week. So that's all the questions I have for you guys. Hopefully this episode helps you learn more about Unbound and how you can prepare it yourself. I have a quote to leave you with, and it's from James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits. He says, the road less traveled is the road of delayed gratification. Ain't that the truth? 
I hope you guys have an incredible week. Until next time, start moving forward. Let's get this show on the road, okay? <laughs>